Everybody ready for some word today? I'll be in careful mode now. I don't know, this is risky business every time I speak, I think. Let's go over to Romans chapter 5. Romans the fifth chapter. I hope you came hungry for some word today. When you desire to hear from God, you'll not be dissatisfied. Romans chapter 5. Today I want to continue a series that I began a few weeks ago called True Love. Everybody say True Love. Yeah, we're, di- we're differentiating between the selfish love of this world, the watered-down versions of love, and the true love of God. Romans chapter 5, beginning verse 6, it reads, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so this gives us just a real quick snapshot of the true love of God. And that is, we were undeserving, we were unworthy, unholy, unrighteous, and yet in that condition, God gave us His very best. And His Son was sent, and He was crucified on our behalf. And so we're, we're defining, we're exploring, we're looking at what, what the love of God is, what true love is. Uh, to this end, first of all, that we can walk with God and not be hindered by a mischaracterization of who He is, because the Bible says that God is love. So I need to understand what that means. The Scriptures tell us that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God, and part of doing that is really just understanding what the love of God is. I don't want to misinterpret circumstances and things in this world and say something is of God when it's not of God. In other words, say that it is of love when it's not of love. And when I understand what true love is, then I can immediately disqualify a lot of activities, a lot of circumstances from having anything to do with my Father. All right? When I know He loves me and that love looks like this, then I'm going to, again, dismiss a lot of things that people say God's involved with this or God did this or God said this. I'll say that that doesn't sound like love to me. That doesn't sound like the love that I know of my God. And so I can, I can more accurately understand what is and what is not of Him. And so, you know, we were talking last week about how love speaks the truth. Uh, and we need to love people enough to tell them the truth, don't we? Uh, oftentimes it's said, well, I love you too much, I can't tell you that. No, the reality is often people love themselves so much that they won't tell someone. They love themselves in this regard. They won't, don't want to risk what that person might say or do or their rejection or their offense or something. They don't want to risk it and so they won't ever speak what really needs to be said. At the same time, we need to be clear about this. Speaking the truth is not the same as just telling everybody how you feel. It's not the same as I don't like you and I just want to be truthful and I want to let you know. Well, see, that's not truth. That doesn't make anybody free. When we talk about speaking the truth, we're talking about the words of God. We're talking about eternal truth. We're talking about the promises of God. Let's say it like it is. Let's bring God's perspective on the scene, not just our feelings or our opinion of some situation or some person. All right? Not the same. All right? But we do want to make sure that we are loving people enough 
to tell them the way it is, to say it like it is, to tell them the truth. And so if we uh, define true love accurately, then again we have an opportunity to keep ourselves in it. And this is perfectly portrayed in Jesus on the cross dying for our sins. But we can also see, because Jesus lived a sinless life, He was the spotless lamb, the perfect sacrifice. He lived His life on the earth without sin. He never gave in to temptation. And because that He is God, was God in the flesh, and lived a sinless life, I can look at any event in the earthly life of Jesus and get a real clear picture of how I'm supposed to live. And sometimes that will mess up someone's theology and mess up their definition of love. But when you have true love responding to people, I mean true love being the person, responding to people and circumstances a certain way, then we should adapt to that. Not, any, not, not the opposite. We're not going to adapt our definition uh, based upon our own feelings. We adapt to the life and the words and the character of Jesus when He was on the earth. Now, here a couple examples of how this can be misconstrued is there are certain feelings that people have, certain responses that, as a general rule, they would be considered wrong or inappropriate or ungodly or fleshly, but there are circumstances where they actually are the opposite. They're godly and that they're right. You know, when you talk about jealousy, uh, jealousy and anger, and, and things of that nature. We can find scriptures that tell us, well, that's the flesh. That's the flesh. We should avoid that. But yet we can also see in other places that there are circumstances where those feelings are appropriate and they're absolutely right. Okay? And there, it, there, there are times when, when being angry is not only appropriate, it's necessary. It's actually required. For a person who is abiding in the love of God. And this is one thing I want to look at with the Lord Jesus. So let's go to John chapter 2. John 2. Look at one of his experiences. How he responded to certain situations that were going on. John chapter 2, of course, this is near the beginning of his ministry. Uh, verse 13, John two thirteen. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers, and the money changers were doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. All right, so who's, who's doing this? This was Judas, right? No, no, no. This was Jesus. This is Jesus who we're talking about. Is it possible for one to be angry and to be right? Is it, is it possible for one to be angry and be justified in how they feel? Is, is anybody out there today? You're, you're certainly welcome to participate. All right. This is full service, full participation activity here. All right. I can tell jokes. 
They might not be good. Uh, but obviously we see Jesus doing this. So we're going to have to answer yes. There must be times when it's right to be annoyed. <laughs> to be uh, ticked off at what's happening. At what's going on. At what some people are doing. And be right about that. Be justified in that feeling. What, what, what should we be angry about? If Jesus got angry at times, what should we be angry about? Well, in a, just to use general words, we should be angry about unrighteousness. We should be upset about the church being used for dishonest gain. Uh, or as might be called here, merchandising the anointing. We, we should be upset at things, the things of God, the holy things of God, being treated as unholy, being misused, being abused. At the church, the body of Christ, those whom Jesus' blood was spilled for, the, the church to be abused or attacked or hurt by another person. That should, that should give us trouble. We should be upset with these kind of things. Let me... Let me give you a few scriptures, and I'll just read them off to you, so you can get a perspective of God's thoughts regarding this. Uh, Proverbs thirteen, or Proverbs eight, verse thirteen, reads: "The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate." That's, this is the words of God. Amos five fifteen says, "Hate evil." And love good. What should we do with evil? Hate it. Proverbs 6. 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among brethren. Those are seven examples. How does the Lord feel about those? He hates that stuff. He hates that stuff. How, how should you and I feel about that kind of activity? Well, if we're living in and keeping ourselves in the love of God, we also hate that kind of stuff. Say hate? That's a strong word. Strong words are necessary concerning certain behaviors and activities. All right? The reality is, is that to the degree that I love God is also to that same degree, I must hate what opposes God. I must hate things that are in opposition to Him. They're two ends of the stick. One doesn't exist without the other. The problem in many people's lives is they try to live for God and still love the world. They say, I want to love God, I love the Lord, I serve Him all my days, and yet their lives are preoccupied with, they're consumed with the things of this world that are contrary to the, to the things of God. I mean, we have to consider, I think, at times when we're, we'll go one minute from reading His Word and praying and talking to the Lord to the next minute we're, we're enthralled with all the, the, the garbage and the junk that's being pumped into our home, sometimes through a television or other means of media. And we're happy with both. And we don't see that there's a contradiction here. I get joy out of both of these things. I shouldn't get any joy out of something God hates. I need to adapt because I only have love for God to the degree that I view things that are opposing to Him the same way that He does. I'm not going to be best friends with God's enemy. 
And you know what I'm saying? That, that, that just can't that just can't exist. Number of things that we could read more scriptures. You know, Malachi two says the Lord hates divorce. But there are, there's a number of things in scripture that the Bible says clearly that clearly that God hates. And a lot of the reason for it is those things destroy people. Those things harm people. They hurt them. Now, now when we look at Jesus, love in the flesh, and he's doing his temple cl- cleansing here. What kind of picture do you see? What's the image of this that you have? If it is an idea that Jesus walked in, saw something, and flew off the handle, just kind of went crazy, grabbed the nearest whip, and went over to the whip table, and, you know, and started swinging, and just out of control, spouting up, that's not what happened. See, Jesus was angry at what was happening. He did not like the events going on, you know, lowering the value of God's house and what should be going on there. But he didn't react. He responded. Thoughtful, intentional, deliberate. You can see that in the fact that he saw what was going on and then sat down and made a whip. He made it. Now you can see for one that apparently Jesus didn't do this every other day. Otherwise, he'd just carry a whip with him, right? Indiana Jones, you know, just kind of walk around. Oh, there's Jesus and his whip. Look out. No, his reputation was not the whip guy uh, where he's just, all, he's just angry. He's always upset at everything. Oh, by the way, if you're that way, you're not in the love of God. You're not abiding in that. I think if we followed Jesus around and on, his, on the earth, we would see a whole lot of smiling. A lot of laughing, a lot of enjoyment, enjoying life. And that should be the norm for all of us. That's the way God is today. The psalmist said that he who sits in the heavens laughs. Can you, can you imagine, can you hear God laughing? Well, he does. Okay, so Jesus didn't carry around a whip. He wasn't regularly, you know, beating on people and stuff. <laughs> right? But in this situation, he was upset, but he was in control. He wasn't flying off the handle. He wasn't just in a rage. And uh, No, he sat there and made the whip. I don't know how long it takes any whip makers out there. I'm not sure how long it takes to, to, to make a whip of cords. But it what didn't need to be made. So he was thinking about what he was doing. He was deciding, here's what I'm going to say. Those, see those tables? Those are the ones I'm going to turn over. <laughs> right? But when it came to the display, again, Jesus did do this. He swung the whip, right? He was the one turning over tables. He was making a mess. He drove everyone out of there and had something to say about it. And that was love. That was love in action, okay? And so, again, if we truly love God, we have to hate the things that He hates. By the way, this isn't the only time that Jesus did this. If you read scriptures later on in his ministry, we have another account of he did it again. So he didn't walk away from this thing going, "Ah, I shouldn't have done that. I just need to cool my jets, you know, give people. No, no. Later on, he realized people didn't get the message. Let me send it to him again. And he made another whip and went, went went to work again. So he did this at least two times that we know of. It's recorded in different gospels in different places. Um... But this isn't the only time he did this. He didn't go away feeling bad about it. Say, I'm never going to do that again. No, he decided, I'm going to do that again if, that's, if that needs to be done. 
And, and he did do that. But the disciples then, now remember, they remembered the Scripture. So they've been reading their Bibles. They've been reading at least their chapter every day. And, and they remembered the Scripture that talked about zeal, how zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now someone said, what, what is that? Well, uh, well we, were re- we were reading our Bible reading with our family recently. And uh, Wesley was doing the reading and he actually read this passage and, and he got to that point and he read zeal for your house is eating me up and he, he laughs and looks up <laughs> and I said you know zeals <laughs> I said I said those zeals that live in the ocean they'll eat you up that's what was going on there no I did say that and we had some good fun with it but <laughs> zeal is not a, a, an ocean animal but rather, you know, zeal is great enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or something of that nature. Jesus had great zeal for what? The house of God. What do you have great zeal for? What, 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 are, what are you zealous for in life? There could be multiple things, but I tell you this. If we're going to walk with God and abide in His love, we need to be zealous for the house of God. We need to be zealous. The house of God is, of course, not just a building. The house of God is, is, is the people of God. We are the temple of the living God. Huh? We should place great value not only on the Lord being in our lives, but the Lord being in our lives. Great value on the fact that we are a part of a, of a body, of a group that God inhabits corporately. And you know, the Lord takes these things very serious. If you read over in 1 Corinthians 3, you, there are some strong words about those who will destroy the, the temple of God, which he said is y'all which he said was the church at Corinth. He said, you are the temple of the living God. He said, anyone destroys, uh, destroys the temple, God destroys them. You see, this attitude of love that God has, it is in its very nature, it is required that, he, that it be opposed to things that will destroy what he loves. I am not happy when I see someone suffering from a disease or mangled in their body, or, or a, a marriage going, going south, and people in strife. These things upset me. Why? Because I'm in the flesh? No, because I'm in the Spirit. I've, I've identified kind of at different times. It's kind of surprised me a little bit. There have been times when I've been teaching in our healing meetings that we do, and teaching on God's love and His compassion and His will for all people to be made well, when I can sense, I've had this on a couple different occasions, while I'm speaking, I sense the heart of God inside of me, and I know God is very upset with the fact that these things are destroying His people. And it comes out of me like a lion, like, and it's not, and I recognize, that's not me, this is, God's not happy about this. He wants people to be helped. This is the love of God that we operate in. We must be opposed to certain things. We must be in direct opposition to the enemies of God, meaning those things that would destroy. And, uh, and I'm, not nece- I'm not talking about people there. We're not opposed to people. But there are sometimes that people will act a certain way, and even anger towards a person is justified. In fact, you can, you can read about Jesus. Uh, again, that's who we're talking about. Remember one time he was doing his ministry and stuff and it was the sabbath day and of course the religious people always tried to set him up because they had all these things about sabbath you know and they try to set him up and the one day they were in the the temple there and the uh there was a guy there with a withered hand and jesus knew they were hypocrites 
He's not happy about it. They're setting him up. They got a guy. They don't care about this guy. They're just using him. They don't care that he's got a withered hand and that he suffered this this whatever you know problem in his life. And Jesus, you read the scripture. I think it's might be Mark chapter three. You can find it though. But Jesus was angry at them. It says that. It uses those words. He was angry at those people. And he told the guy, stand up, and he ended up getting healed. But he was angry at, their, at, at the fact that they would do that. They're setting him up. They're such hypocrites. They don't want to help people. And Jesus was angry at who? At them. Not just the devil. At them. Because of their actions towards people. And, and this is something that is con, contained in the love of God. All right? You know, there, it's possible for someone to have, have zeal for something and be wrong, though. We realize that. You could be very passionate about something. You could have, have zeal for something and, and not have it according to knowledge. Paul told the, that, that was the case with the Jews in their day. You know, I, I got to uh, talk with some, some, uh, some guys uh, recently from the, the LDS church in our, in our area. And I could, I could attest they had a zeal for God. But just like the scripture said, they had a zeal without knowledge. And that was, that, that, that was the problem. Not in their heart. They just didn't know some things. And so what we want to do, obviously, we want to have a zeal for God. We want to have a zeal for His house. We want to do it according to knowledge so we can, so we can be in the truth. Amen? And, and these, these things are, are necessary. But when it comes to life today, let me ask you this. Does God still hate sin? We referenced a number of Old Testament scriptures. But does God still hate sin today? Is He still diametrically opposed to it? Does God still get angry today? Now, some might have a question with that one. Does God still get angry today? Because you've heard me teach on, uh, on the grace of God. How, and how His anger has been appeased through Jesus. Because Jesus bore our punishment, bore our sin. So God's no longer angry at us. But does God still get angry today? See, watch. If He is love, the answer has to be, absolutely must be, yes. Yes. I don't mean that's His general disposition, that He's an angry God and He's looking for vengeance. No, but we can't turn this into such a mechanical thing that that God has no emotions. He's just up there making decisions and it's all legal and technical stuff. You know what I mean? Almost like if, if my relationship with my wife is solely based upon that, that piece of paper that we have filed a marriage license and we are just married. It's not about feelings. It's, it's just marriage. You know, no, I, if I'm going to have a good relationship with her, we have to be able to express things we like and things we don't like. Right? Otherwise, you never, I mean, what kind of relationship is just so robotic that, no, we can't say that. That's a feeling. That's a preference. We live by faith. Yeah, we do live by faith. But we have a relationship with God. Will there ever be a time when God is displeased with something you do? Even though you're forgiven in Christ. Absolutely. And we, if, you, if you walk with Him and you talk with Him, you know this is true. If you're just a, a legalistic, even if you're a legalistic grace person. I'm serious. Even if you're just a legalistic grace person, you'll say, Oh no, God would never say anything negative to me. He would never tell me something not to do. Baloney. He's a real person who wants to have a relationship with us. And there's got to be a freedom to say, I love this and I hate the opposite of this. 
and this makes me happy, and this tees me off. That doesn't mean I lose my standing with God. That doesn't mean He removes His love from me. But that's a real relationship with someone. Uh, can we, can we this, this phrase is used a lot, can we love the sinner and hate the sin? Yeah. Not only can we do that, we must do that. We must. If, if I don't hate the sin, I don't love the sinner. Because sin destroys people. Sin does damage. It hurts. It takes a person down. And nowadays we want to say, or we're encouraged to have this position, we just love. And we don't say anything about or mention anything that we're opposed to or we hate or anything about the sin. We just love. That's, that's hypocrisy. If someone is involved in a behavior, a lifestyle, an activity, an attitude that is destructive to them, and I say, well, I just love you. I'm a liar. I love me. I love the way I can, be, I can feel and be, uh, you know, not accused of judgmental or anything like that. If I truly love that person, I've got to tell them the truth. I've got to go back to last week's message. If I truly love the sinner, I must also exactly at the same time hate the sin that holds them in bondage the sin that destroys their life everybody with me today i tell you what i'm preaching better and you're listening <laughs> see we're encouraged today to just be passive and well, why don't you just leave those people alone why don't you just live your life, stay in your church, do whatever you want to do, and leave people alone. Let people live their lives the way they want to. I'll tell you why we don't. It's because we love them. It's because God so loved the world that He sent His Son. They've got to hear the message. They've got to hear the good news. Come on now. And, and I, listen, I recognize we don't want to be known for what we're against because that's not our primary message. We're not, you don't hear me, I'm not just, I'm not a big sin preacher. We're getting up here and this week we're going to talk about this sin and then this sin and we're just going to preach it. No, we preach Jesus. Amen. He set us free from our sins. We're, we're, and that should be true about all of us. We should be known as Christians for what we're for, not against. But it doesn't mean that we're not against. It doesn't mean it removes that from the equation. That part of me being for something requires that I also be against something. Amen. All right. Now, now, did Jesus hate? <laughs> See, I don't even like that word. I'm not real fond of it myself. But I recognize it's necessity. Did Jesus hate? Look at Hebrews 1. And let, me just, let me just review and show you this scripture that talks about the Lord Jesus. We see that he, at times, again, he wasn't an angry person. Uh, but at times he got angry. With unrighteousness, with sin. But did you, what, what, can we use that word hate in regards to Jesus? You, you understand that Jesus was pretty dogmatic. He was, maybe say it this way, he was pretty extreme. You know, at times he would teach and he would use illustrations that really kind of got under people's skin. You know, teaching about his death and about blood and eating his flesh and drinking his blood that annoyed a lot of people 
you know, when he was talking about sin, he said, uh, it'd be better for you to cut off your hand and or pluck your eye out if your eye offends you rather than to, you know, go into hell with two hands and two eyes. And Well, how many know he wasn't really encouraging everyone to start chopping? A little dismemberment here and poking out of the... He wasn't literally encouraging people to do that. But you can see by his illustrations, he's telling people, take this very serious. Take these things very serious. You don't want some temporary temptation, something to keep you out of life, to keep you out of eternity with me. Deal serious with these things. And so he used some extreme and strong language. And Hebrews 1 verse 9... Hebrews 1.9 says, Thou hast loved righteousness. Well, put it up on the screen for me. I put the wrong translation here. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Notice what he did with lawlessness. He hated it. Why did he hate lawlessness? Because he loved righteousness. You can't love righteousness and love lawlessness at the same time. You have to hate lawlessness in order to love righteousness. Yeah. What happened as a result? Oh, happy day. Right? He had this oil stuff on him. It's called anointing. It's called gladness. It's called he'd wake up and go, it's good to be alive. I mean, he was a happy guy. Jesus was anointed with happiness, with gladness in his life. Anybody interested in that? I'm interested in that. What was the prerequisite? Love righteousness and hated lawlessness, hated sin. You hating anything yet today? Am I stirring up your hater? <laughs> look, at, look at Ephesians chapter 4. We'll, we'll finish over here this morning. Romans 1 says that we are to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Abhor the strong language. Again, you know, as a general rule, we don't focus on the negative, but it does exist. We live in a fallen world. There is sin, there's ungodliness, and we have to be opposed to it. What do I mean by that? We have to love God and abide in His love. It's really saying the same thing. But let's not interpret every time a situation where you or someone else is angry or upset and say, oh, that's just the flesh. Well, it might be. But you know what? It might just be inspired by God. It just might be the most loving thing that they can do in this situation. A lot of times parents won't deal with their kids and their behavior because they don't, I'm afraid to say anything. I don't want to drive them away. If you love them, you'll... You'll deal with them. Deal with them in love, but you'll still deal with them. I don't want to come across negative. If you love them, you'll be strong with them. Strong in love, nevertheless strong. Too many people have perpetuated a horrible lifestyle. And I say this, I say this in love, but because their parents did not love them enough, to grab hold of them and say, this is not happening anymore. This is not going on anymore. They didn't deal with it as serious as, you know, the, the illustration, cut the hand off, poke the eye out. They weren't that serious about it. And they said, well, I just love them too much to, to let them sit in jail. Well, I just love them too much to, uh, you know, turn them into this for their drug habit. 
or I just love them too much, I couldn't say anything about this behavior and this activity. Let's, can I be just real clear? That's not love. I love you enough to tell you the truth. It's allowing them to, to, to remain in a situation that's destructive and harmful, and they'll suffer for it. Well, let's go to Ephesians 4 and cap this thing off with some whipped cream. It's garlic whipped cream, though, I've got to tell you. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Notice what it said. Be angry and do not sin. Everybody say, be angry, be angry. and do not sin. Be angry, there's a command. You see, that is not a suggestion. He didn't say, many people would say, well, the Bible says we shouldn't be angry. You're actually right. We are, there are scriptures I could show you where we are to put off anger. There is a fleshly kind of anger. And there's a whole lot of people operating in that every day. They're yelling. They're screaming. They're out of control. And, and if, I don't want anyone to take this message today as a license to be fleshly. And to yell at your spouse and, and kick the dog and, you know, and you're just kind of an angry person and you're mad at everyone and you drive down the road and, you know, show everyone your IQ and, you know, and, and all this stuff. And you're just fleshy. There's nothing, nothing else to be said about that. You're not abiding in the love of God. And don't say that I told you you could do it. I'm just being like Jesus. I'm going to go whip some people today. <laughs> You're in the flesh, dude. <laughs> so let's distinguish and clarify what we're talking about. This is a love message. We're dealing with all, trying to deal with all sides of this. Okay. But the scripture does say, even though we're to cast off anger and clamor and all this kind of stuff, as far as the flesh thing, there is also a righteous part of this. And the Bible tells us, be angry. Be angry and do not sin. What do you mean by that? You're sinning if you're not angry. Be angry and don't sin. If you're not angry, you're in sin. Really? When I say that again, it's contextual. There are certain... I'm not an... We're not to be angry people. I'm not mad up here. Just let it out on these people today from my bully pulpit. You know. No, no. I'm not angry. There are certain things in the world, certain behavior, certain activities that must anger us. There is the work of the devil. There is sin that destroys people. I must be angry about that. In other words, I'm not passive. I'm not just going to let it exist and run people over and I'll just kind of sit back. No, that's sin. Be angry at the right thing at the right time and the right way. And sin not. Say, good, I've been having this boiling up in me for a long time. <laughs> Finally, some release. Again, we got to see this thing in context. He goes on to say, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. In other words, I, I shouldn't let the sun... In other words, I'm not going to live a full day without, without having my anger set on the right thing. I'm not going to let this exist in my life where I'm not loving God and hating sin. Where I'm not in love with the right thing and the right behavior, but drastically opposed to the wrong thing. Why? Because if I do that, I'm giving place 
to the devil. Giving place is a passive activity. I'm giving place. That means I'm allowing evil to work. I'm allowing things opposite of God to remain. I'm not going to be passive allowing of the devil to work in my life or anyone that I can affect their life. I'm going to be loving towards them. I'm going to show them the love of God and be upset with what is attacking them. Be upset with things that that disregard the honor of God and His family and His work. Praise the Lord. God is good today. Amen. Why don't we stand up together? We'll, we'll, finish, we'll finish here for today. And uh, again, let's distinguish between fleshly love and the love of God. Let's distinguish as well between love, that, between anger and those kind of things that are of the flesh and those that are righteously motivated by the Spirit of God. And we'll go up in our love life. And we'll keep ourselves in the love of God. You want the Lord to talk to you about that? Let's do that now. As we sing, ask Him to open your eyes to see and show you the way that you should go. Give us a clear picture of Himself in all of His great love. I'll be back in a few.